Good morning to everyone. We thank God for the opportunity to worship today, and we're thankful for the presence of each and every one. And those of you who are visiting with us this morning, we want you to know that we are very thankful that you've chosen to be here, and your presence with us means more than you know. It always encourages us whenever we have folks from our community who come and who worship with us, give us an opportunity to get to know you and to perhaps help in some way. It really is a joy, and we're thankful that you are here. I hope you have your Bibles with you, and if you have not already, I invite you to turn to Luke chapter 9. We're going to be studying together this morning Luke chapter 9 and verse number 23. The call to come out of the world and serve God, as is presented in this passage, is a call that is present in every age of human history. In Genesis chapter 5, verse 22, we read about a man by the name of Enoch, who in the midst of a very wicked world is said simply to have walked with God. In Genesis chapter 6, verse 9, we read about Noah, who is described as a just man and blameless in all of his generations. Abraham was told by God in Genesis 17 and verse number 1, walk before me and be perfect. When God redeemed Israel out of Egyptian bondage, when he led them by the leadership of Moses to Mount Sinai and he began to address them and to make a covenant with them, he simply told them in Exodus chapter 19 and verse number 5 that if they would keep his word, that if they would walk according to his statutes, that if they would maintain separation, holiness from the world and be connected, if you will, to God, that they would be his people. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 and following, one of the most tender passages of scripture that we can find in all of the Bible. He said, come unto me, all ye who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you uh, and learn of me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come unto me, Jesus says, and you will find rest unto your souls. The call to come out of the world, the call to be different, the call to serve God and to walk in his ways. It is a call that spans through every age of human history from the beginning even until now. It is a call that is lofty indeed. It is a call that is weighty. It's heavy. But it is also a call that is a privilege. It is a blessing. It is a wonderful thing to be able to hear the gospel's call, to answer it, and to be able to follow in the footsteps of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. God calls us to be holy, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 16. We are called to be perfect as our Father in heaven is perfect, Matthew chapter 5 and verse 48. We are called to imitate God as dear children, Ephesians 5 and verse number 1. We are called to be the children of God, John 1 and verse number 12. And we are called to follow Jesus Christ. Our passage Luke chapter 9 and verse number 23. I want us to look at this call this morning, the call to follow Christ in Luke 9 and verse number 23. It is the greatest invitation that has ever been given to man. 
in a world in which there are so many things that are constantly competing for our attention, so many things that are like billboards with bright flashing LED signs on the side of the road, as we travel life's way, it seems that our attention is constantly diverted from one thing to the next. But in the midst of all of this is our Lord Christ Jesus, who calls out and who says, be still, Psalm 46, focus and think carefully about the call to follow me. If any will come after me, Jesus says, Luke 9 and verse number 23, let him deny himself, let him take up his cross daily, and let him follow me. Let's begin our study, first of all, by noticing that this call to come out of the world and to follow Christ Jesus is a call that is extended to all people. Notice that Jesus said, if any man or if anyone will come after me, then let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow after me. If anyone will come, the idea is that the call is open to everyone. Remember the passage we noticed a moment ago, Matthew chapter 11 and verse number 28. Jesus said, come unto me all you who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. In Acts 10, 34 and 35, the apostle Peter was sent by God to preach to the house of Cornelius, who of course was a Gentile. And toward the end of that chapter, when Peter realized the gravity of that situation, he made this statement. Of a truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons, but in every nation, whoever fears God and, and, uh, and works righteousness will be accepted by him. What does that mean? That means that God is not concerned with where you live. He is not concerned with your skin color. He's not concerned with your language. He's not concerned with your financial status or whatever your station in life might happen to be. What all God is concerned with is the fact that you are a human being created in his image and your soul alone is worth more than the entirety of the world according to the words of Jesus in Luke chapter 9. And so therefore, regardless of who you may be or whatever the situation of your life may currently be, the call to come out of the world and follow Christ, that call is yours. In Galatians chapter 3, verse number 27, Paul said, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, all are one in Christ Jesus, all are Abraham's seed. If you've answered the call to obey the gospel, the, the, the cross of Christ, as we say, is the great equalizer. All men stand on level ground at the foot of the cross, and we all strive to hide behind its shadow. Now, that's very, very different from the world in which we live, wouldn't you agree? Our world, as we recognize on a regular basis, is constantly divided, becoming more and more divided as the days go by. It seems like every day someone is coming up with a new thing and a new way in which to divide people. But according to what the Bible teaches... Jesus is not interested in any of that. Jesus came to die, according to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 18 and following, for the purpose of establishing his body. That's the church, according to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22 and 23. And within the church of Christ, the body of Jesus Christ, all men, regardless of who they may be, stand equal in fellowship with one another and in fellowship with their God. The call to come out of the world and to be a Christian, that call belongs to everyone, no matter who you may be.
second, let's notice that this call involves contemplation. It involves contemplation. Notice that Jesus said, if anyone desires to come after me. Look at the word desire and look at the word if. You see, the word if implies that there is a decision to be made. Christianity, Christianity is not a religion of impulse. Christianity is not a a religion of emotion exclusively. Christianity is a religion of thought. It's a religion of rationality. The law of rationality, you may recall, means that men ought not to accept those conclusions. Uh, Men ought only to accept conclusions for which there is adequate evidence. In God's word, we find more than adequate evidence to believe the claims that it makes. We find more than adequate evidence to see that Jesus is exactly who he says that he is and that the life of a Christian is the greatest life that anyone could ever imagine. The word if implies that there is a decision to be made. We've got to think about this call and whether or not we're willing to answer it, whether or not we're willing to follow Jesus Christ because Jesus isn't going to force anyone to follow him. It's possible that someone might come to a worship service like this one because they were forced to do it. It's possible that someone might come to a worship service like this one because they thought that it would please their family. But if we're going to really follow Jesus Christ, it's not going to be because we feel forced to do it or because we feel like the better thing to do is please him or someone else. No, the reason why we're going to follow Jesus Christ is because we have a strong desire to do so. The psalmist said in Psalm 42, verse 1 and 2, we have a song that we sing often based upon this sentiment. As the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul longs after you. I want you to stop for a moment and ask, what do you want more than anything in this world? What is the one thing in life that you desire more than anything else? The one thing that you would be willing to sacrifice for, the one thing that you would be willing to give up your possessions for, your time, whatever it might be, what is the one thing? The psalmist said in Psalm, the psalmist said in Psalm uh, 143 and verse 6, there's this one thing that I do. There's this one thing that I desire. And that one thing was an ongoing relationship with the Father. John chapter 12, verses 20 and 21, there were some Greeks who came to the disciples and they said, Sir, we would see Jesus. It's an interesting passage for a number of reasons, but one of the main reasons is because this in the gospel account of John serves as really the turning point. From before that passage, Jesus would speak of the crucifixion as something that was coming in the future. But once the Greeks came and said, Sir, we have a desire to see Jesus and to know who he is and to know what he requires, all of a sudden, his emphasis changes. It's no longer the cross is coming in the future. It's the cross is here now. This desire on the part of the Greeks to see Jesus and to know him and to follow him was something that was noteworthy in the mind of our Savior. And listen, the desire that we have, the desire that we have is noteworthy as well. The call to follow Christ involves contemplation. There's a decision to be made. We've got to have a desire to come out of the world and to follow Christ. And the reason is because following Christ, the invitation, we don't have to pay anything. It's free. The invitation is free. But the cost is high. 
Look at the end of Luke chapter 9, for example, and notice what Jesus says in Luke chapter 9, verse 57 through 62. He's speaking of the cost of discipleship. And by the way, if you go back and read the entirety of Luke chapter 9, you'll notice that in this chapter there are two different occasions in which Jesus in which Jesus announces to his disciples that he's going to be crucified. And immediately following both of those announcements, we have a context in which Jesus has to deal with the cost of discipleship, the cost of following him, the, the issues like humility and other things that stand in our way. Jesus deals with those things, and Luke 9, verse 57 to 62 is just one example of the many occasions in which he does it. The Bible tells us in Luke chapter 9, verse 58, that Jesus said to him, uh, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Then to another he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. And to another also he said, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. And Jesus said, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. What's the point? What's the point, Lord, of the things that you're saying in verse 58 and in verse 60 and in verse 62? What does all of this have to do with the call to follow Christ? It all implies that the cost of discipleship is high. That being a Christian, that answering the invitation to follow the Savior means that we're going to have to give him everything that we have. And we have to recognize the weight of that cost before we make the commitment. Luke chapter 14, verses 25 through 33, Jesus talks again about the cost of discipleship. He said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father or mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me, he cannot be my disciple. Now we read that passage and it strikes us strange. What do you mean, Lord, I have to hate my family? No, the idea really is love less. The emphasis is that my love for Jesus Christ has to trump my love for anything and even anyone in this world. Because love means dedication. More about that in just a few moments. He then goes on to illustrate the point. He says, for which one of you going out to build a tower doesn't first stop to count the cost? No one's going to start a building project without first making sure that they have the funds that are necessary in order to see the project through to its completion. Or what king, does he say, seeking to go to war does not first stop and count the cost? does not first stop and take note of, the, of, of, the, uh, of his army and of the uh, supplies and of the weapons and things that he has, does not first take note of the enemy uh, uh, to whom he's going to be fighting. If the king knows that it's a losing battle before he ever begins, certainly no king is going to begin a battle that he knows is destined to fail. Again, what's the point? The point is count the cost. Understand that understand that the invitation to call, to follow Christ, to be a Christian, it's an invitation that's free and it's freely given to all men because Christ died for all men. But it is an invitation that carries with it a great weight, a great weight indeed. Next, I want you to notice that the, I want you to notice that the call to follow Christ involves renunciation. There's contemplation and then there's renunciation. If anyone will come after me, Jesus said, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Renunciation. 
What that means is that I simply cannot follow Christ and seek to follow and live by the things of this world at the same time. Galatians chapter 5 and verse number 24, the Apostle Paul said that those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh uh, with, its, uh, with its lusts and with its affections. In 2 Corinthians chapter, uh, chapter 5 and verses uh, 14 and 15, one of the, the most challenging and one of the most sobering passages in all of the Bible, in my judgment, Paul said the following. He said, for the love of Christ can, compels us. Because we thus judge that if one died for all, then all died, and that he died for all, that those who live should no longer for themselves live, but for him who died for them and rose again. Paul, what are you saying? What I'm saying is this. When we look to the cross and we see the suffering Savior hanging there with the nails in his hands and in his feet, when we see the blood that is absolutely pouring out of his body, When we think in our mind's eye and we hear the screams of anguish and agony that certainly came forth from his mouth as they hammered those nails into his hands and his feet, as they beat him and as they uh, hammered the crown of thorns on his head, when we see the Son of God hanging on the cross, here's what ought to immediately come to mind. 2 Corinthians 5.14, he died because all died. What do you mean all died? Well, Romans 3 and verse 23 says that all men have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And Romans 6.23 says that the wages of sin is what? It's death. The reason why Jesus came and died on the cross is because we were all dead people. Because of sin. It separates us from God. Isaiah chapter 59 verses 1 and 2. It separates us from our brethren. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. It separates us from what we might call our better self. Galatians chapter 5. Sin is absolutely a deadly force. And the reason why Jesus came to die on the cross is because there is a world that was and is dead in sin. So Paul says, when I think about that fact, it compels me, it constrains me. And there's a word picture there that has always stuck in my mind. It's the picture of walking down through a very narrow corridor, the walls pressing in on both sides. You can't go to the left or the right. You can only go forward or you can go backward, but you can't, there are no other options. And Paul says, every time I think about the cross, it compels me, it constrains me, and it pushes me forward because I realize that my life now belongs not to me, but to him. Why? Because he died for me. That's renunciation. Galatians 2 and verse number 20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, it is not I, but Christ who lives within me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith of the Son of God who loved me and who gave himself for me. If I'm going to follow Jesus Christ, I'm going to have to put Jesus Christ first. No one can serve two masters, Matthew chapter 6 and verse number 24. If you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sits on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things in heaven and not things of earth. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. What mind is that, Paul? It's the mind of a selfless, sacrificial servant. It's the mind of someone who is willing to renounce all and give up all and say, Lord, my life belongs to you. 
And I'll do what you want me to do, and I'll go where you want me to go, and I'll be who you want me to be. Look at Philippians chapter 3, verse 4 for just a moment. And I want you to notice how Paul illustrates this principle in his own life. Philippians chapter 3, verse number 4, notice that Paul begins to talk about his past. He says, though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless, But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, that I may win Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness which is from the law, but that which is through the faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. I want you to look close with me at verse 4 through verse 6. As Paul talks about his attainments in, in Judaism, maybe to try and let that become more real to us, let me illustrate it this way. The Apostle Paul is saying something like this. I worked very hard in high school. I played sports and did okay, but I excelled in the classroom. I won a scholarship and I went to college and I was able to study and I was able to get a great degree. In fact, I was able to go to graduate school. I have a master's degree. I have a PhD. I've been able to attain every career aspiration that I've ever set my sights on. I make a lot of money. I'm highly regarded in my field and I am utterly, utterly successful. And yet Paul says in verse number 7, what? Those things that were gained to me, I count in loss for Christ. Now certainly that doesn't mean that it's wrong to do well in high school and go to college and earn a degree and be incredibly successful in your profession. That's not what it means at all. What it does mean, however, is that there may be and are some things in this world that they grab so much of our attention and so much of our loyalty that the Bible says, look, what we have to do is say, my loyalty first and foremost belongs to Christ. And so if there are things in this world that are going to keep me from belonging to Christ and from following him and from being the person that he would have me to be, I'm going to have to renounce those things. It may be that there are certain thoughts, certain ideas, certain doctrines or philosophies that I've held on to all of my life, that my family has held on to. And upon further investigation of God's word, I come to find that those things are not right. I've got to to renounce those things. It may be that there are some desires that I have, sinful desires, fleshly desires that I enjoy fulfilling, and then I come to a knowledge of God's word and recognize that those things are wrong, and so I have to renounce those things. It may be a relationship of some kind, a person in my life that says, you have to choose between me or the Lord. I've got to choose the Lord. It may be, uh, it may be recreation. It may be a profession. Whatever the thing in this world might be that says you choose between me or you choose between me or the Lord, you always choose the Lord. You renounce those things that will try to stand in the way of answering the call to follow Christ and being the person that He would have you to be. Next, 
there's dedication. We have contemplation, we have renunciation, and now we have dedication. Jesus said, if any will come after me, let him deny himself and let him take up his cross. Notice the next word, daily, and let him follow me. Christianity is a a 24-hour-a-day, seven-day-a-week, 365-day-a-year proposition. It is a lifetime proposition, as a matter of fact. Christianity is the call to following Jesus Christ is not something that we turn on and off like a light switch. Being a Christian is not just about worshiping God and being with his people on Sunday mornings. It's about giving God every single moment of my life for the rest of my life, however long that might be. And speaking of moments and time, realize that, realize that dedication, the best way to measure it, of course, is time. How do we know that a person is dedicated to something or to someone? How do we know that a parent, a father, for example, is dedicated to his family? Because he spends time with them. Because he invests himself in them. Because he makes sure to be there and to help them. How do we know that a person is dedicated to his profession? Because they spend time with that dedication, love. It's measured by time. So how much time are we giving to the Lord? How much time, how much of ourselves are we dedicated, dedicating to knowing him better and to pleasing him and to serving him and to giving him that which is so richly deserved? Exodus chapter 29, as Moses gave God's instructions concerning the burnt offering, concerning the altar of burnt sacrifice, you'll notice toward the end of that chapter that God outlines what is a continual burnt offering. There's a lamb without spot and blemish that's to be offered in the morning and in the evening. And God says this offering is to be a continual burnt offering. It's to be ongoing. There's never an exception. Not even one day, not even one day is exempt from this offering. You always do it every day. Why, Lord? Because I want you to have a daily reminder that you belong to me. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Do you remember what Paul said? He said, I beg you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present yourselves, your bodies, as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto him, as is your your, uh, reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, he says, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Every day, the children of Israel would bring that lamb multiple times a day, and it would be sacrificed, it would be offered on the altar. You could smell the burning of the flesh every day. But when we're talking about the call to following Christ, Romans 12, verse 1 and 2, there are no lambs that are going to be offered on any any altars of sacrifice for God. The sacrifice is you. The sacrifice is me. It's my life. It's my uh, my heart. It's my everything. It's my devotion. This one thing I do, Paul said in Philippians chapter 3 and verse number 13, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And if there were any passage 
Any passage at all that I would choose to summarize this point better than any other it would be Philippians 1, verse 21. Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Being a Christian following Jesus Christ involves dedication. It's not a half-hearted effort. It is a lifetime proposition. It's an all-or-nothing proposition. I'll either give Christ everything or I'll give him nothing. Finally, our last point, the call to following Christ involves direction. There's contemplation, there's renunciation, there's dedication, and then there's also direction. Jesus said, if anyone will come after me, let him deny himself, let him take up his cross daily, and let him do what? Let him follow me. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse number 21 The Bible describes Jesus as our perfect example. Peter made this statement. It's found in a context of suffering. And he says, For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps. We talked about this passage before, but it's one one of my favorites. The word that Peter uses when he tells us that we are to follow, or that Jesus is our example, is, is the word underwriter. And it's the same idea of that thing that you did in elementary school. Whenever you were learning to write your letters, you, re- you recall, and maybe on the chalkboard or the dry erase board or on a piece of paper, you would have a perfect capital letter A or B or whatever, and your job was to copy capital letter A's over and over and over again until your letter A matched the example at the top of the page. That's an underwriter. And that's the word and the concept that Peter is using and ascribing to Jesus Christ in 1 Peter 2 and verse 21. He is our perfect example. He is the pattern. And our goal is to make our lives look like his as much as possible. Followership is seen in imitation. And the highest form or the highest uh, compliment that could be given to a teacher in the first century world was that of imitation. If someone was able to look out at the student of a teacher and to see that that student had adopted the mentality, the philosophy, the worldview, the way of thinking, the rationality, the mind of that teacher, if you could look at a student and say, I can tell that you belong, I can tell who your teacher is because you speak like him and you think like him and you do the things that he's taught you to do, there could be no better compliment given to a teacher. As it pertains to Jesus Christ, our job is to imitate him, to be like him. Jesus said, I always do those things that please the Father. John 8 and verse number 29. Now certainly we always try to do those things that please the Father, but unlike Jesus, sometimes we fail. But that doesn't mean that we should ever stop trying. And so if we learn to think like Jesus and speak like Jesus and act like Jesus and love the things that Jesus loved and hate the things that Jesus hated, do the things that Jesus did, be to the best of our ability who Jesus was, then we're on our way to fulfilling this passage, to following our example. And then, of course, there's Revelation chapter 14 and verse 4. Those who will find themselves in glory are those who, to use the language of the King James Version, follow the Lamb whithersoever he goeth. The idea is that Jesus stands right in front of us, that he's leading the way, and all we have to do is follow 
him. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. The Hebrews writer says that having uh, therefore uh, also since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily ensnare us and let us run with endurance or patience the race that is set before us. And here is the key. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of God. Following Christ, being a Christian, that life, the Bible describes that really as being a race. But it's not a sprint, it's a marathon. And we can see the finish line, and the Lord is standing at the end of the finish line, and he waits with open arms to greet us and to embrace us whenever our life is over and whenever we finally, at long last, cross that line. But people who don't start races can't finish them. And the way that we start the race is by answering this call. Luke 9 and verse 23. The call to come out of the world and to follow Christ. The call to be a Christian. That call... According to what Jesus said, it involves some things. It involves contemplation, thinking about it, thinking carefully about it, counting the cost. It involves renunciation, denying ourselves and whatever might try to stand between us and the Lord, and dedication. It is a lifetime proposition as it pertains to following Jesus Christ. So the question that I leave you with this morning is, have you started the race? Have you answered the call? Have you responded to the invitation? Are you following Christ Jesus? And if not, why not? What are you waiting for? The Bible says that God's desire is for every person, every person to be saved, to follow Christ and to be a Christian. You believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, John 8, 24? Are you willing to repent of your sins? A change of mind that leads to a change of action, Acts 3 and verse 19. Are you willing to confess your faith in Christ Jesus, Acts, uh, Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10, and be immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins, Acts 2 and verse 38. If If you're really ready and willing to do those things, then you're ready to answer the call. And God will add you to the church this very day, Acts 2 and verse number 47. And if we can assist you with that, it would be our privilege. Maybe this morning you're a Christian, you've already answered the call, and you look at your life and you say, you know, I'm not, I've not been renouncing those things that ought to be renounced. I'm letting some things distract me in my followership. Can we pray for you? Can we help you to make that right? Maybe it's the case that you're a member of the body of Christ and you've been visiting with us and you say, you know, I I really want to identify myself with this congregation and work here with these brethren and under this eldership, we'd love to have you. If you have any need, then we invite you to come forward and let that be known while together we stand and sing the invitation.